Welcome to the Sacred Feminine Power Podcast, where we explore the many facets of feminine power and why it is so important for women and for men to step into this power in our world at this time. This is Emmy from Feminine Revered, and my magical guest for today is Liz Childs Kelly. Liz is a writer, award-winning researcher, educator, community builder, and host of the popular Home to Her podcast, which is dedicated to amplifying the voices of the sacred feminine. She's also the author of the new book, Home to Her, Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine from Womancraft Publishing. Her writing has been featured in a variety of online publications, including Forbes, Mashable, Rebel Society, Human Parts, and Braided Way, as well as the Girl God Books Anthology, Just As I Am, Hymns Affirming the Divine Female. An initiated priestess in the 13 months lineage, she also holds certifications in Reiki, as well as Vinyasa and Yin Yoga. Liz lives in rural Virginia, USA with her family, and can often be found exploring the nearby Blue Ridge Mountains or wandering in the woods behind her home. Oh, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast, Liz. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Emmy. I love your work, and it's a real honor to be with you. Oh, thank you. The honor is all mine, and I am super <laughs> excited to be learning from you today. Now, Liz, since my podcast is called Sacred Feminine Power, I love to start by asking my guests, what does sacred feminine power mean to you personally? And I know this is a huge question for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I knew you were going to ask me this, and so I was actually thinking about this, and I realized, you know, my answer, it might be different from day to day or moment to moment, because it is such a a big, expansive question. Um, you know, what's coming for me in this moment is grace. And by grace, I mean a radical faith that we are not walking alone and that there are many forces all around us conspiring in our favor. And I think of that energetic web of which we are all part very much as the sacred feminine and the challenge and the invitation is to relax into the faith that that is all around us and that we get to work with that energy together. And when we do that, we tap into that power. Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I mean, already in, in, such few words, you've opened up many, many yummy portals for us to dive into. <laughs> and there's so many concepts that we could really, you know, explore deeper as well. But before we go there, Liz, I would love to just hear from you about a challenge that you faced on your path that's really helped you to activate this power within you. Thank you. Thank you for asking that. And I um I write about this in the in the very first chapter of my book, um, Home to Her. But several years ago, I um, I was on a really different path. I had a business career that I was pretty into. I was pretty committed to it, like all in. And um, I owned my own consulting company. And I think at the time, I thought that by showing up in the business world and trying to be this sort of powerful force within that space that I was being the best version of a feminist that I could be. That I could be in these spaces that were not available to my mother's generation. And um, I, I had an, an all-female team, and most of the clients that I worked with were 
were women. And so I, I really felt like, ah, oh, I am in my, I am in my feminine power. Um, but then I went to a business conference one day, hoping to win new clients. And I was sitting in the audience listening to a woman speak. And her name is Dr. Elizabeth Kapualani Lindsay. She's um native Hawaiian and an anthropologist and a National Geographic fellow. And she had traveled all over the world studying indigenous cultures. And that day she was talking about the Pacific Islander people who were known for navigating thousands of miles between islands without any of the modern instrumentation that uh, we have assumed, especially Europeans, assumed that you needed to do that. And she talked about how these traditions have been passed down orally and um, and and then she said something to the effect of uh, these sailors were so in tune with the wisdom of their own hearts, and I'm paraphrasing here, but that they could navigate they could navigate thousands of miles just by watching the way the waves broke across the front of the boat, or by watching the stars or the birds. And when she said this, I had a really physical reaction to her words. People have used the language Kundalini and. I, I tried hard not to put labels on things, um, but I, I had a very physical reaction. I got hot <laughs> from my feet all the way up to the top of my head, and the whole room started shimmering, and it was just very – I never had any experience like this. So it was very much a rupture in my everyday reality. There, there, it was a before and after kind of moment. And I started studying about Indigenous wisdom um, and realized what I'd been offered was this portal into understanding the world in a different way that wasn't necessarily defined by logic and data and reason. But I didn't really understand sort of the feminine component and how that piece was missing for me in my own experience until um, several months later, I gave birth to my second child. And in that moment, I had another really powerful experience where I felt this deep and profound connection to all the women who had given birth uh, that had gone before me, and it, it was a, it was terribly painful, but it was also beautiful, beautiful opening experience. And so, after that, I kind of went back home, and I I was holding these experiences and really contemplating them, and I was I was thinking about all that I had learned um, ever since I'd seen Dr. Lindsay speak and and what I'd studied about Indigenous wisdom, which it really turned me onto the idea that all of life is sacred. And then I started thinking about the sacred nature of childbirth. And I realized, why have I, why am I not reading about this? Why have I not come across this? Surely there can be nothing more sacred than bringing life into the world. And I just kind of hit me that pretty much everything that I had learned and read up until that point had been offered to me by a man, you know, Dr. Lindsay aside. Um, I had, I grew up in a traditional Christian household and there was a, there's a male minister and God is male and his beloved child is a man. And um, even when I had studied meditation and whatnot, most of my teachers had been men. And I knew that they, they couldn't teach me about something that they hadn't experienced. And so that was a profound awakening. I kind of think of those two moments as profound, you know, they were, it was sort of an extended awakening. And in that moment, when I realized the absence of this female perspective, I first got really angry. And then I just got curious. I thought there's, there's no way this can be right. There's no way 
that if all of life is sacred, that it makes any sense that we've left the feminine and the female experience out of that, that just can't be right. And it really was like, I had a little, you know, something fell out of the sky and into my head and like, and this is your work. (laughs) And this is why you are here. At least a big part. It is not just to build a, a business. Uh, and achieve success in that way. You are here to do this. And, you know, once you have a revelation like that, um, you know, somebody asked me, they were like, well, yeah, well, maybe we kind of get hits like this all the time. Why didn't you ignore it? I'm like, no, 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 no. It wasn't like that. I, I could not ignore this. It was, it was like a profound calling from my soul. And so I had to, I had to leave the company that I had founded. And, um, that was profoundly difficult because I had invested so much of my identity into that, that, you know, I, this idea of me as a CEO and a career woman. And, and so I, I had to walk away from that. I, I had to deal with the very real and messy issue of what this meant for my team. Uh, and the woman who took over the company for me, um, there, it was very challenging for us. And so you know, I think the 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 awakening to the sacred feminine and that power it was a beautiful thing, and it was also simultaneously a very very challenging thing for me to deal with. And I would say I spent the first, at least the first year after I left my company, just really trying to recover um, my own sense of identity to recognize that I was more than what I had told myself to grieve for all the pieces and parts of my life that I had set aside so that I could be that that version, that limited version of myself. And just, you know, to, to allow that, that space and that opening. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I had goosebumps all over me as you were describing the experience from that conference that you went to, where you had this amazing, powerful awakening. And yeah. what could be more beautiful and also sometimes scary than to get an awakening like that, a real initiation into the mysteries of the sacred feminine. Oh, wow. It was like, yes. I mean, and it was a beautiful moment in that moment. It wasn't frightening at all, but I think what can happen is, you know, when you realize, or when I had that experience, I, you know, one of the first things that I realized is that the people that were in my life at that time, you know, that's kind of changed somewhat now, but I, I, I felt that there was no one I could talk to about it. You know, I just didn't even have those kinds of conversations and those relationships. And uh, I was legitimately worried people would think I was insane. (laughs) So, you know, it was a beautiful thing. And it also felt like I couldn't tell anybody about it. So there was some profound loneliness there in in the early days as well. Mm. Yeah, I can completely relate to that, Liz, as well. What would you say was the divine meaning or the hidden blessing in this challenge that you navigated and how how is this blessing supporting you on your path now? Mm, I mean, I've really it, it. You know, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was a before and after moment. Um, my whole life has changed because of this, and you know, while those times I- any transition is bound to be challenging, right? But it's it's only changed for the better. I mean, here I am talking to you, Emmy. <laughs> this beautiful podcast, you know, I'm I'm I host my own podcast. I've I've written a book that I'm profoundly proud of, and it's out in the world. Uh, I am I am doing work that feeds my soul, and uh, to know what that feels like is just it's the most beautiful thing. I, it would be such a sad thing if I hadn't 
gotten to know this, know this way of being in the world um, more fully. So uh, there gifts abound. I mean, it's even it's, I think it's transformed my relationship with my partner. And um, it's transformed my relationship with my children and how I want to teach them. It's changed where I've I live. I've I've moved. Uh, I moved across the country two years ago, uh, in part to be more in a, a more natural setting to to have easier access to the outdoors. So the gifts are just the gifts overflow. There's so many. Hmm. Oh, I I bet I bet. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear a little bit more about. The work that you're doing now you mentioned your book and i know that you you've been for quite some time now been really working as a sacred activist in many ways how how is this coming through in your work in your relationships in your everyday life and how is the sacred feminine really calling on us all of us really to transform ourselves and the world around us right now mm-hmm. Thank you for asking that. Um, and I, I, this word activism is one that I've been dancing with for a while because what does that mean? I think we tend to um, interpret most things through whether we whether we intend to or not through a kind of capitalist patriarchal lens, and that capitalist patriarchal lens tells us that our impact should be really big. You know, we should be uh, we should be on a on a big platform somewhere, seen. You know, perhaps. So the megaphone shouting about things. And um, I I feel like what the sacred feminine shows me is it's much more about values alignment and uh, lending our energy towards the things that we deeply care about and disentangling ourselves from the places where we feel like we are out of integrity and, and out of balance. And that is lifetime curriculum. I think that's, that's something that we can work on our whole lives, yeah. but that is, that is activism to me. And so I, I do think that when we get on this path of the sacred feminine, it, there is a there's a there can be a focus on our own personal development and personal growth. And these things are not separate, by the way. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that is a very natural part of it. And I also think eventually, and I write about this in my book, eventually I think we begin to see that this work that we're doing on ourselves is not so that we can show up better or more powerfully. It is really, we are transforming ourselves into this expression of the divine that we know that we can be. And in doing so, we are changing those around us and everything we come into contact with, just like we are touched and changed by everything we come into contact with. And so that's what I think of with the with the sacred activism is that it's not so much I must be seen, I must you know I must be on Instagram and tell everybody about these things, or or even marching in the streets. Although I think that there are some of us that are very much called to do that, but it, I also think that activism comes from allowing ourselves to be the fullest expression of ourselves and to allow others to see us in that, and that quiet transformation that can happen uh, in our world around us. It just ripples out and out and out. And it isn't always easy, you know, to allow it. There's a, a high level of vulnerability there. It's, it's you know, we, we can talk a big game about I'm going to be myself, but it can be very challenging. Um, and yet I think it, it really does have a profound impact on the world. 
if if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. It makes a whole lot of sense. And uh, especially when you talked about the ripple effects, just, you know, moving from ourselves as individuals into the collective, because we are all connected. We are all part of the sacred web of life. And when I say we, I'm not referring just to human beings, but everything that is alive on our planet and even beyond. So when you talk about this inner transformation, sometimes quiet, sometimes less quiet, it speaks to me very, very deeply. And I I really just love the way you express that. So thank you for sharing that with us. Mm, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. You, You also... Um, and I've only just started reading your book, so I'm, I haven't finished it yet. But but there's so much beauty and so much grace in the words that you use and the concepts that you're bringing through in that book. It really is a real treasure. So so the book is called Home to Her. And one thing that I'm I'm really picking out from that book is is the fact that sacred feminine is is a living tradition. It's an active presence that's in our lives right now. And it's something that's been there for us all along. Many of us just have been disconnected from it for various reasons. Um, Would you please uh, expand on that a little bit around the sacred feminine not being something that needs to be reclaimed? Yes, thank you for asking that. Uh, I feel quite passionately about this. Uh, So when I started working on this book and the and just exploring the sacred feminine, a lot of anger and a lot of rage came up, which I, I would imagine many women can relate to that. You know, just mm-hmm. the, the the absence, this beautiful thing that we have been denied. Um, however, once I started digging in a little bit more, and I'll just go back and say that I think that there is a narrative when we think historically about the sacred feminine, there's a a fairly popular narrative that says uh, the sacred feminine is dead and patriarchy killed her. Hmm. And I think that, first of all, this is a limited, well, first of all, I think this is giving patriarchy too much credit. Hmm. And I don't power. think it's possible, right? Yes, I don't think it's possible to kill her. And it's not even historically accurate, because if you are basing your evidence on certain parts of the world, Europe and the Middle East, then that is that may feel like a true statement. And there's certainly historical evidence that Christianity in particular, and any of the Abrahamic faiths really tried to suppress the feminine. I think that there's there's solid evidence of that. However, if you were to go to India and uh, tell a practicing Hindu that the divine feminine is dead, I think they would laugh at you. That's that's absurd. Um, this is a that's a religious tradition that a billion people are a part of, and that's it's very. Uh, there's a beautiful sacred feminine, many expressions of the sacred feminine in that tradition. You could say the same thing for any religion um, that originated from Africa. There's beautiful sacred feminine uh, deities, Orishas there as well. And even in the Americas, until colonizers arrived here, uh, there was also beautiful sacred feminine presence. Now, we might not have called it a goddess, might have called it a ancestral grandmother. Perhaps it's a you know, a mythical animal like a grandmother spider, but there's definitely a sacred feminine presence that was quite strong until colonizers disrupted that. And that was only 500 years ago. So the idea that, and for those those traditions that have not been wiped out, there's still a, a robust understanding of the sacred feminine. So to say that she's dead, I think, first of all, is just, it's not historically accurate, but second of all, 
it, it, it does give patriarchy too much credit and too much power. And when we start to look around, we can actually see that, of course, she's alive. She, We can look at that from a historical place. We can look at that from a living tradition place with some of the traditions that I just mentioned. And we can see it um, both hidden and alive in our own lives uh, and in uh, our own heritage as well. And there's many ways in which I could name that. I think you could find her, for example, in um, even though the Christian tradition would never call Mary a goddess, that's absolutely what she is. She very much, you know, got kind of stripped down to a couple of qualities. Um, but you can trace uh, and uh, co-opting of her and almost an appeasement of people uh, to give them. <laughs> let's let's give you a a sacred feminine figure here. We're not going to call her a goddess, and we're just going to say she's a vessel. But that that's what she is. Um, and then also. I, there's so many things I could say, Emmy. I'm trying to I'm trying to organize myself here because there's so many. Um, but I'll I'll say with I'll stick with this last one here. Um, there is so much historical evidence when you go back. You see this beautiful entanglement of the idea of the sacred feminine with nature itself and the aliveness of nature. Well, certainly we haven't lost nature. She is right here. You know, she is. We are like like we've talked about. We are intimately entangled with her. She's all around us, so she's very much a living presence. And then finally, I guess I would just add this: we are an expression of the divine, and that's very different than a a lot of the predominant traditions, like the Christianity and and uh, Judaism and whatnot, who would tell us that uh, God created the world and then stepped out of it. He is not a part of it. It's a he, and he's he made everything, but he's not here. In the divine feminine traditions, there was no separation between what the goddess or the sacred feminine cre created and herself. So that means she didn't make us. We are her. We are an expression of the divine. And so when we lean into that, we realize, well, of course, she's not dead. She is literally alive in my body and in my breath. And I think that feels so much more empowering to me. There is a journey that needs to be made of anger and reconciliation of what we have lost. And then we have an opportunity to say, but no, I haven't lost anything. And that feels much more empowering to me because that's a place I can start from. You know, I can begin to think about, okay, this is already alive in my life. I don't have to spend any more energy lamenting what I've lost because I have what I need right here and right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 absolutely. And again, you shared that so beautifully. And as you were talking about these historical evidences of the sacred feminine, I was also thinking about way back to our ancestors, 30,000, 40,000 years ago, Gebekli Tepe, um, sacred sites in Peru, all over the world, and, and the, the female figurines that often are called Venus figures or Venus goddesses uh, nowadays, but really this very clear archaeological evidence of the sacred feminine having been in a real revered and sacred place from way back ancestral times and how the feminine in those times really was revered and, and seen as the physical carrier of a womb and, and this birther of new life, nurturer of new life, seen as connected to Mother Earth and her womb and connected to the creatrix, to the great mother uh, or the great cosmic womb, however you want to put that from 
depending on which tradition you're coming from. But I mean, absolutely, she has been with us and she continues to be with us in such a powerful way. Oh, yeah. And you see it all over the world. You know, I'm not, I am a a self-trained researcher in this and I just really like, I like research. And so I cannot claim to have uh, studied the entire globe <clears throat> and don't think I'll pull that off in this lifetime. But, mm -hmm. but certainly uh, in doing the research for this book, you can find evidence of her historically pretty much anywhere I've looked, you can find her. And so um, this idea that she is a universal is, I think is, it's accurate. It's, it's true and a, a beautiful thing. And and this is kind of a fun fact. Um, the earliest representation that we have that we think might represent the feminine. And of course, there's a whole lot of, do we know like what this stuff means, right? We don't have written records. Um, but there's, it, it actually predates uh, humans. It's, it predates Neanderthals. So there's a, a little a little stone that appears to have been carved in the form of a woman that is as much as 250,000 to 500,000 years old. Hmm. And um, it, it was found in Israel. And uh, so that's, I believe we weren't even, we weren't even homo sapiens. We were called homo erectus back then. And so how amazing is that? That is the oldest representation that we have of three humans making something. And they made a little figurine of a woman. Pretty hmm. incredible. That is pretty incredible. And also very understandable at the same time. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I do find it interesting. This is just a little note here that there is, because I feel like I need to say this, that there is some uh, controversy perhaps or questions about whether or not is this really a female, but you actually see that you see all kinds of questioning about this, this historical evidence. There's often a lot of questions about, well, is this a female or is this a deity? And I would just suggest that those are good questions to ask. However, we also need to recognize that whoever's doing that research right now is also doing it within this capitalist patriarchal framework that has told us for a very long time, patriarchal framework specifically, that's told us for a very long time that, um, you know, the male is the top of the food chain. So we have to, we have to take that into account, you know, any of the skepticism, we have to recognize that we're all sort of part of this toxic patriarchal soup and that's bound to show up in our uh, our so-called um, unbiased observations as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, Liz, how would you say the sacred feminine helps us to connect to magic? Mm. And how do we acknowledge the presence of magic in our lives? Well, I think of, um, I think of the sacred feminine as being very intertwined with magic, perhaps because and, and when I say magic, if people can have a lot of definitions about that. But when I use the term magic, I'm talking about those beautiful little moments of mystery and synchronicity and visions and things that can happen in our lives, the goosebumps that you talked about, the things that we don't tend to acknowledge as real in, in our kind of everyday world, you know, where we're walking about. I think my life has just gotten exponentially more magical <laughs> with the sacred feminine uh, making her appearance. And so I think the invitation has been for me. And, and when I look back, I'm like, oh, were some of these things happening prior to that moment at the business conference? Definitely nothing that dramatic. But I certainly would have moments of uh, 
glimpses, I guess, of, of this bigger, more expansive world. And so I think the invitation from the sacred feminine is to lean into those things, to not write them off as coincidences, but to see them as an invitation to the way we are connected to everything in the world. Uh, and so I, I I don't know, Emmy, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. But I just feel like for me and for a lot of people that I've talked to, when you start walking with the sacred feminine, this magic just sort of starts showing up uh, more and more. And um, yeah, and so the opportunity is to open to it, to not write it off, but to just say, oh, wow, this means something and allow it to mean something and invite more of it. And I think the more we invite it in, uh, the, the more it shows up. And um, I'll give it just a little example of what I mean by magic. And I, I don't like to give too many examples because I think the way it shows up for each of us is different. And so I, comparison is just the death of all joy, in my opinion. Um, mm. But it, it, one of the ways in which I love to be with this magic is I have a little, um, I have some woods behind my house that I like to go and sit in sometimes. And I just sit and watch and I, I love to be there at dusk. It's my favorite time when the light is just kind of fading out. And if I sit really quietly, things start to happen and the trees get kind of shimmery. It's like I can see energy lines running up and down them. And there are, there are things dancing out of the corner of my eye and, uh, and also very ordinary things. Like, you know, once I saw there was a little fox who was keeping me company, who just kind of slid out from under a tree and wandered away after I'd been there for several minutes or uh, all kinds of things like that. Even just sitting and watching the way the clouds might drift across the moon, for example. I think we're surrounded by these ordinary moments of magic um, or the way the, the trees might be whispering with the wind and that whisper might remind you of something important that you'd been reflecting on that's not a coincidence to me. That's magic. And that's a gift of the sacred feminine. And so I think the opportunity is to make more space for that in our lives, to not discount it when it shows up and to make more space for those moments to appear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think when you really allow yourself to be in that being state, which is so very much about the feminine the feminine way of, of existing in this world, being, allowing, surrendering, that's when that magic really, really starts to show up. And I, I can really connect with everything that you shared there. And certainly in my life as well, um, those synchronicities and those magical moments, some of them very mundane and some of them incredibly miraculous as well, have really just started to show up. And I notice them so much more nowadays as well. So absolutely. Oh yeah, and and one thing that I write about it in my or I say in my book too is, you know, those moments are for you or they're for us. Uh, we don't have to share them with everybody. Sometimes the things that are super magical to us might seem really mundane to somebody else or a coincidence. And so, I also just sometimes encourage people to. Uh, guard that magic carefully. Like, don't discount it. It is for you, and know that it is for you. Right, like a the trees are are blowing in the wind because there's a there's a good scientific reason for that, right? <laughs> the wind blows and they move the trees, or you know a, a butterfly has a pollinating purpose that has more than me, you know, than than a symbol to me. 
And it's always an and, it's not an either or to me. And it can have profound meaning for us in that moment that's deeply personal and really beautiful. And so, um, yeah, holding that, holding that, recognizing that this can mean different things to different people. And that doesn't change the sacredness and the specialness for you, for us. Mm, absolutely. Wow. Well, there's so many different themes I would still love to explore with you, Liz. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours. But I think there's just one more thing that I would love for you to share a little bit more about. And that really is the the presence of darkness in our lives. Because again, in the patriarchal, capitalistic world that we live in, we've really been taught to fear darkness. And many of us find for example, going deep into a forest where it does get quite, quite, quite dark, scary. And it can be difficult for people to, to, to even be in a room that is, is completely in the dark with no light in it. And yet at the same time, it is in that darkness that new life is really birthed and grows, whether it's in the rich fertile soils of Mother Earth or deep inside our womb spaces. And I would love for you just to share a little bit more about what you have learned about darkness on your path. Oh, I love this question because this is something that came up very early on in my exploration of the sacred feminine. And even before I, I think I knew much about to call her that, but, um, I, I found, well, it was a very, it was a very practical thing. So when I was, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think about the time frame of this. I think this was even before the business conference. Um, I started a meditation practice and I had a two-year-old at the time and the way that my house was laid out, uh, there wasn't a lot of, it, it, it just, I didn't have like um, soundproof doors and things like that. And I had a two-year-old that would wake up very early and just sing to herself in the crib, which was a beautiful, <laughs> it was the cutest, sweetest thing. But as a mom, I would hear every noise, every turn, every, you know, and I'm always, I was always on, on like hyper alert. Does my child need me? Does my child need me? And I also had this demanding job and I really wanted to meditate at a time when I could have quiet and privacy. And the only way that I could really get that was by getting up extra early. And the only way that I wouldn't hear my child tossing and singing and all this was I needed to go outside. And I, I lived in California. So that was that was pretty doable. Didn't rain a lot. And the weather was pretty moderate. But um, I had to go outside in the dark. And that was simultaneously intriguing and terrifying to me because who knew what was out there? Uh, so I, I started, you know, first I, I tried to kind of sit in the doorway with the lights on and, uh, then that scared me even more. Cause I'm like, oh no, I'm going to invite all kinds of, you know, creepy crawlies to just come in the house while I'm sitting here. And then I made my way outside. I had a little patio and I got my, my husband to help me string up some lights. And so I get to sit outside with the lights. And then I, one day just realized that I didn't need them anymore. And that what I was craving was this darkness. And I think there's so many people that have written about this really beautifully. One book that's coming to mind is one called Longing for Darkness by a woman named China Gallen, who went on quite a personal journey to find connections between the Black Madonnas of Europe mm -hmm. and um, and uh, uh, Tara, the Buddhist goddess Tara or Tara. Um, but she talks about how in these, those of us that have been raised in these um, male monotheistic traditions where there's this, this overemphasis on light, how deeply we want the dark. And it's just like you said, Emmy, I mean, this is where we all come from. 
This is where we are all born. This is where we all return to the darkness, to the darkness of uh, the mother, the mother earth, her body. And I think without that, uh, we are incomplete. And so I think for a lot of us, when we get on the sacred feminine path, there is this desire to dive into the depths of darkness. And I think when we do that, we find out quite quickly that the things that maybe we are afraid of by stepping into literal darkness, and I'm talking about being outside like I was, that that the things that we're really afraid of or that we really need to be afraid of are not the creepy crawlies in the dark or the animals. It's, it's the things that we've been hiding from ourselves. Mm. And uh, facing those things is so important on the path to healing and wholeness. And I think that's what the sacred feminine offers a lot of us too. She's extending a hand and inviting us to walk into that dark and to know that we're not alone and that she is the darkness and it's sacred and that we will be safe and it's okay. It's okay to turn our attention to those things. And I find now that if I don't have that darkness in my life, um, I don't, I I don't feel complete. I really, I need it. One of my favorite things to do, especially at this time of year where I am at, it's, it's really, really dark in the mornings when I get up and I still go outside. I bundle up a lot. It's a little colder, but I still go outside and sit outside in the mornings when it's dark and as the light is changing. And I find it so healing and nourishing and um, a slowing down of the nervous system, which I honestly think most of us need these days. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually just writing about this myself. Like this, there's this deep, deep yearning for darkness for me right now. I mean, it's like the glare of street lamps and the the uh, security lights at night. It's it's too much for me right now, and I'm just craving yes. for like total, total darkness that I can just you know curl up in the embryo position and just just be with my thoughts, be with my intuition, be with whatever needs to arise in the moment or not arise in that moment. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. Um, one of my, you know, it, it, one of my favorite things to do is on the winter solstice. That is a a big family holiday here in my house. And I keep the lights off all day. We light the house with candles. And so usually we're having breakfast and dinner by candlelight because it's quite dark. And um, it's, it's amazing how that very simple act of keeping the lights off, even if I have to do work and let's say the computer might be on for part of that day, but there's something about, there's like a stillness that falls on the house and time slows down. It's the most beautiful thing. It's it's fascinating. And I don't understand why just turning the lights off makes all this happen, but it does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, you've just reminded me of the work of my uh, womb awakening teacher, Azra Bertrand, who's very much talking about the concept of biomancy and how our cycles are so deeply connected to light and to dark and how we can really reboot our energy system by cyclically observing the various shades of darkness as we move through the year. Of course, it depends on where you are in the world, but nevertheless, aligning your energetic cycles with the cycles of nature and and really just creating absolute magic within you and around you through that. Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Yes. And I, 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 I want to say too, um, and I, I think I say this for myself as well as your listeners, that just acknowledging that, um, and it, it's it can be so challenging depending on your life and and um, and how our lives are organized, right? Like if you 
if you're like me and you've got school age kids and they they like, you know, all of their peak activities seem to be at the time when <laughs> darkness is falling, you know, there's a real disconnect there of like, oh gosh, I've got 50 million things to do. And all I want to do is curl up in the darkness. Yeah. Um, I feel that I, I've been in that. And so I, I also think there's this, um, we do what we can, right? Mm-hmm. Like we find to the moments that we can. If there's 15 minutes in the morning or you're able to say, I'm going to turn the lights off on the winter solstice, I'm going to make that choice. We 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 recognize that we are not separate from the system that we're in and the system that we are, most of us live in and have to function in is fairly toxic and not super supportive of these kinds of cyclical ways of being. And so we we do the best we can. We adapt the changes where we adopt the changes where we can. Mm, absolutely. And that for me is exactly the definition of grace that you started with, being gentle and compassionate with ourselves and allowing for that which needs to happen to happen in a way that supports our our nervous system to the extent possible. And when it isn't possible, just bringing that compassion for ourselves and going so gentle on ourselves as well. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm. So much. Mm. Beautiful. Well, Liz, you've shared a lot with us already, and we are going to have to start wrapping up uh, slowly, but is there (laughs) anything else that's still arising for you that you'd like to share, either in relation to home to her or anything else? Well, I just have a lot of gratitude to you, Emmy, for the work that you do in the world, um, for the fact that we found each other and for you having me on the show. I'm I'm so grateful. And um, if people are interested, I you can. My podcast is called Home to Her. It comes out every full moon and new moon. So that is my that's my attempt, you know, to to align with those with those cycles and to help others align with those cycles. Um, and uh, exploring, you know, the sacred feminine from a, a variety of different angles too, much like you, Emmy. Um, and then my book, you've already mentioned it. It's Home to Her: Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine. You can find that. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you would buy your books. Um, yeah. And I'm on Instagram too, at home to her. I also, if people enjoy Facebook, I do have a fairly large Facebook community also called home to her, where we are exploring the sacred feminine from all different angles. And if it would be in your joy, I'd love to have you join us there. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, Liz. And I understand you've got a gift for our listeners as well. Um, yes. So if, yes. So I think you're going to share these links after the show, Emmy, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So if you go to, um, with this link, if you go to my publisher's website, you can read the first 25 pages of my book. And, uh, we also did a special recording of, um, of a, a talk for people who pre-ordered the book uh, with my publisher and myself and um, can make that available to you as well. And then I've also got a podcast. Um, I record my podcast, both audio and video. And so got a, a link to one of my most recent video episodes that you can check out too. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Appreciate yeah, it. Mm. Absolutely. Well, Liz, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Really appreciate your your wisdom, your your embodied way of, of living your life and all the beauty that you're birthing into the world. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So many blessings to you and thanks to everybody listening too. <laughs> thank you so much. Now, everybody, just for a moment, let's focus our intention and our awareness on this beautiful energy that's been activated. And imagine sending this energy to everybody and everything on our planet to remember that we are all truly one. 
and that the more of us have the courage to step into our sacred feminine power, the more quickly our planet will also ascend and heal. Thanks so much for listening.